I will say there's a huge drive in me to make my parents proud. There is a huge drive in me because there's been so many incidents. I didn't finish college because I my drag was taking off and, and, and I felt like I had done everything that I, I could there. I don't have the Monday to Friday nine to five. I'm gay, so I do, I, I'm not bringing a woman home or we're not having the three kids. I just know that I'm not the stereotypical child. So all those conversations that I've had with my parents that yes, would really affect my anxiety and my stress levels of are you going to be okay and where are you going? Also, on the flip side of it, give me this unholy sense of drive that they're going to turn around and be like, oh, wow, we did not have to worry about him. And wow, you can be a a drag queen and be like so successful or where you can be an artist or whatever it is. And so sometimes I have that ringing in my head. Sometimes that can be a bit of a downfall because that might affect my work on the day or the, the stress levels because there's like a, I have to do well. I have to do well for this. Welcome back to Daddy Issues podcast with Harrod George Carey. Daddy Issues is a podcast exploring fatherlessness, but more specifically, fatherlessness in successful people. I want to prove that regardless of whatever daddy issues you think you have, you can achieve anything you put your mind to. Fatherlessness affects so many of us, so it's time to start listening to each other's stories and opening up this conversation as one that needs to be recognised, heard and confronted. If you like what you hear, please do feel free to rate, review and subscribe, because not only do we love hearing all your feedback, but it gets the podcast to more ears. And the more ears, the merrier. So thank you so much. I'm going to let you get on with the episode now. And I hope you have a wonderful listen. I'm thrilled to announce that Daddy Issues Podcast and Oni have collaborated. So Oni is a community-first brand providing a range of organic period products designed to help you manage your entire cycle. So I say this having learnt startlingly recently how we who do have a uterus know so little about our cycle and were taught so little about our cycle throughout our education. Our menstrual cycle, not to go too into detail, really does affect us every single day differently. I was so excited to come across Oni because they're a platform who really understand this and have therefore created products in order to help us function as best we can for every day and not just the days where we are experiencing our monthly bleed. Only period products are all 100% organic cotton, meaning that you don't have to worry about any nasty chemicals going places where they shouldn't. But being somebody who suffers badly from cramps and PMS and just general hormonal changes throughout the month, the main excitement for me is the selection of vegan CBD oils and medicinal concoctions that they sell from their site, which work together to combat cramps, muscle spasms, and for the days where your hormones feel a bit off kilter. To top all of this off and to make it wonderfully Gen Z, they're also vegan, cruelty-free and are working to un-F-U-C-K the planet with every single box that you'll be sent in the post. On the show notes of this episode, you will find a link that leads you to be able to claim your first free box on only period products as well as some other exciting and life-changing hormonal delights. In today's episode, I am speaking to Candy Warhol. 
Born and raised in Cork, Candy has been one of Ireland's leading drag acts for a decade and is a descendant of Irish drag royalty, Danny LaRue. Making her mark in the UK, Candy is currently the host of Dragoniance on Comedy Central UK. She is also a regular on the East London drag scene. Back in Ireland, Candy is the producer and host of Mocky R, Ireland's leading drag family and queer cabaret with regular sellout shows, festival performances, national television appearances and an upcoming documentary to be aired on RTE television. She is also the host and producer of Friends of Dorothy podcast, which is currently climbing the charts worldwide and boasts a glittering lineup that includes Rose McGowan, Sandra Bernhard, the Veronicas and an array of drag race winners. Over the last decade, Candy has appeared at prides, music festivals and shows all over Ireland, the UK, Europe and America. In 2019, Candy was selected by the Irish Embassy in Poland to lead a parade of 50,000 at Warsaw Pride and later appeared in Vogue Poland. She is currently writing her first theatre show and is signed with United Agents in London. Candy and I first locked eyes over lockdown numero un because I was asked by Comedy Central to appear on Dragony Aunts, Candy's co-hosting podcast show, and we spoke all things daddy issues. So a few months later, I decided that I wanted her on my podcast. I had no idea what Candy's story would be because we were just talking about daddy issues on a kind of more relationship surface level on what I'd sort of learnt doing the podcast and potentially some of my relationship woes that could be linked to my daddy issues and then speaking to both Dragony Aunts about their relationship woes that could be linked to their daddy issues. However, I didn't know the depth of Candy's story until, of course, we had our interview. It's the most incredible, inspirational story and full of laughs and it was just a true, 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 true joy to have her on. I believe I've made a new best friend. This is the Christmas finale but I just want to inform you that there is a bonus episode coming up where I speak about my own story interviewed by a fellow podcast guest, Harry Bell, who also was a friend of mine at school. So please look out for that one coming out next week just in time for the new year and please enjoy this Christmas finale. I couldn't be more excited that it's with the epic, phenomenal, superstar queen that is Candy Warhol. What I'd love to do is, what I always do, is to take me back to the beginning and where you grew up and your kind of family dynamic. Okay, well I'm from uh, Cork City, which is in the south of Ireland Um, and I'm trying to think... As a kid, I just remember moving a lot. Um, I we I think we moved houses maybe one, two, three, four, six, eight times before I was eleven, um, and um, a lot of my younger years was myself, my sister, my mom, and my dad. And then when I was around seven, we got uh, my mom felt pregnant, got an, had another sister. So I have two sisters, a little sister, an older sister. I'm the typical weird, creative middle child <laughs> that gets in trouble all the time. <laughs> The black sheep of the family, which yes. I have been called many a time. Are you the same? I'm exactly the same. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you have to explain that to people. And you know that stereotype of a middle child? I think that's completely yeah. true. I think that's completely same. true. You know? Um, yeah. So, uh, 
Yeah, I remember. And you know what? A lot of people ask me as well why we moved so much um, as kids. And it was never, <laughs> we weren't on the run or anything like that. Let's say we, that we, we weren't on the run or anything like that. <laughs> you know, we weren't like, involved with some big scandal, which I would have liked because I think that would have been far more glamorous. Um, yeah, exactly. It was basically a case of my parents had uh, my first sister very young. I think they were 18, 19. And it was a case of they just worked their asses off. So every year or two where they could get a summer better to live they did and mm-hmm. then when we were 11 we 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 settled where we are now um but I've moved a lot since then um I haven't stayed here um you know I, I I've went to college I've lived all over Ireland and midst pandemic I made the very <laughs> exciting decision to move to London so I was living in East London for all of a all of a very exciting three to four months I had my apartment and then the pandemic hit. Oh my god! So you you moved to London? Did you say mid pandemic? I uh, sorry, or... mi- mid. So no, yeah, sorry. Start of the pandemic when it was would have been starting elsewhere, not in the, in London. You know, you know. Right. Remember, remember when we didn't know what that was? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that old chestnut. <laughs> that we didn't realize that there was an apocalypse, an impending basically doom. Looming. Basically, yeah. <laughs> so whilst there was an impending doom spreading across Europe, I was in TK Maxx buying very glamorous things for the apartment that I just <laughs> moved into, and I remember spending about you know a, a grand on you know like stuff with my room and things like that. Mm. And I remember, and how funny is this? I remember. Looking around my room, everything was as it should be. Did my makeup, got on the tube in full drag. And like t- I was having my London Queen moment. Did did a show in Dalston and halfway through the show, they sent me home because there was nobody there because things were starting to happen. Things were starting to get crazy in wow. London. And then yes. the next day, I remember going to Tesco to get like my bits. And this is the decision that um, made me go home. I walked into the aisle and there were smashed pasta jars on the floor and it freaked me out. It was like a Sma- smashed pasta all over the floor. And I was like, fuck, I, I'm getting the hell out of here. This is, it was just, it was just, it was just like the, the icing on the cake of like people have gone mental. Like people were like grabbing things, you know. They're smashing the penne. It was just, no, I out. was like, this is too much. There, there was a really exciting feeling about moving to London like there were there was there was um I was nervous and I was scared obviously like London can be London's very cutthroat and when you make the decision to to move to London especially as a creative when you don't have guaranteed work that is quite scary but I was willing to do that and because when I was when I was 18 I left home and I moved to there's another city Limerick so I was there for four years in college then I moved to Dublin for three years um, and then I moved home for a few years because when I was working as a full-time queen in Dublin, the parting just got a bit too much and I had to remove myself from it. And the decision that I made um, over 12 months ago was to give all the drink up and really focus on, you know, making the drag not just, you know, something that's in a club night. How can I market myself and how can I make myself a business? And things like Dragon the Ants came up and it, and it really started pushing me. So when I moved to, to London... It felt like I was getting rid of any fears my parents may have had about, oh, my son doesn't have a nine to five Monday to Friday. He's working in a nightclub. I was starting to go, well, I'm doing, you know, this podcast. I'm doing this show. I'm doing more stage work. You know, I, I'm I'm actually flying. I was at the time I was flying into Ireland to do a gig and then flying back to London. And I felt like for the first time in a while I had my shit together, you know, 
Mm-hmm. And then I remember that when we I had to fly back because of the pandemic, there was that first week where, oh, I'm just here for a week. At least we're all together. And then when it was announced in Ireland, you know, this lockdown is going to be quite long. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then when the realisation hit that I was going to be stuck here, I did cry. Because mm-hmm. I felt like... It felt like I'd failed, even though the failure had nothing to do with me. And then I also, not that my parents were delighted that we were all out of the house, because my sister had also just moved to Australia um, wow. um, just before I moved to London. She also had to leave Australia and come back. Wow. Which was very, I mean, that, that, was, that was probably worse for her. It was an hour flight for me. It was a 24 hour flight for her. And it was very, very far away. And she had just done her three month farm work and, you know, just gotten herself mm-hmm. a job. So there was this, you know, probably sense of happiness on my parents' behalf where they were, wow, our kids are doing really well. Wow, we have the house to ourselves. It's just the two of us and the dog. And then a week later, we're home. So I think we were all upset, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> and at the same time, on top of that, people are dying and people are sick and you can't leave the house that's very intense and mm. I'm I'm just one of those people that it's like I can't sit still I have to ke- be creative I have to work so when things like the Dragon Ants podcast came up the Friends of Dorothy podcast came up I was trying to do online shows I was almost trying to wave at them constantly going I'm busy I'm working I'm okay yeah. but yeah. there is a sense and I'm not sure if you get this as well when you're working when you were working at home, you could be on your laptop for 12 hours a day, editing manically and working constantly. Mm-hmm. It looks like you're in your pajamas watching TV and I get a sense of shame and guilt over that. It's because I notice the um, the difference in the relationships and the treatment, the different treatment. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I notice my sister isn't getting asked how much money are you making this week? How many hours are you doing this week? What is this going to lead to? Um, mm-hmm. The constant question that I'll get is, is there something that you'd like to do on the side? Is there something that like, would you like to work somewhere for a few days? And it's kind of like, do you think I enjoy not having a lot of money? (laughs) Like, do you think I (laughs) enjoy grafting this much? (laughs) You know, and I think that's what a lot of us get, isn't it? You know, a lot of us in the creative field get that. It's, it's the, it, there's a huge uncertainty in this business. And, Mm. you know, and that's uh, the, the annoying thing was I was in, in a place where I was managing events in Ireland, you know, I kind of saw that gap of, okay, there's no drag queen running her own events. So I started to do that. And that's actually to generate a little more income. And then it's actually to grow and grow. So I, I always knew that I, I needed to be smart enough to make that extra, that extra money. But it was just this, it, there is this been feeling over the last year where it's like, I'm doing as much as I can <laughs> under the circumstances of a global pandemic and mm. <laughs> that, that 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 to be honest has caused me a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress to the point where I will sometimes just wake up in the middle of the night and think mm-hmm. what are you doing with your life because you mm-hmm. were at home and you're not making as much money as you were last year because obviously all the venues have shut down all the theatres have shut down all the clubs have shut mm-hmm. down you can't film anything because you can't sit next to anybody so Mm-hmm. I'm having these conversations now with my parents of when do you think you're going back to London? Do you think you should do a college course? Do you think you should do something two days a week and, you know, put the podcast and your drag stuff to the other half of the week? And it's like everything they're saying is making sense and I completely agree with it. But there's just this huge panic at the same time because you don't want to disappoint them. You're also, yeah. when you get to 30, you're like, oh my God, you know, like, what am I doing? 
And yeah. I, I, I have to sometimes stop and think, okay, before the pandemic, you were at the point where you were starting to be a bit comfortable. So yes. it, it's just been a really stressful year. Yes, absolutely. I actually, everything you're saying, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we've had quite similar experiences. Should we just, should we just move in together and we can do like yeah, exactly. a four-hour podcast yes, together and we, we won't torment each other? <laughs> yeah. Um. But going back to the beginning a bit and growing up, what was your relationship to your father growing up? Growing up, um, I remember, to be honest, I, I remember having a very good relationship with um, my father up until <laughs> puberty, <laughs> the, the, the hormones hit. Um, and, you know, it's funny, I, I look at photos, you know, like family photos, you know, and it's just like the two of us are like, I'm up on his shoulders and we're like, you know, at the beach or in a park. And I remember... Mm-hmm. So to go back to to when I was really small, one thing that I'm really thankful to my dad was he he had a, like, has a, like a great imagination. He taught me how to use mine quite a bit to the point mm-hmm. where we would be out for a Sunday walk because isn't it funny as well? Sorry, just just uh, not to go on off off topic, but it's funny when you think back on the activities you might have done with your parents as kids you know, Sunday walks and things like that. And then you realise, oh, it's because they just didn't have a lot of money where they did now and they were just doing mm-hmm. their best. So a lot of that was on a Sunday, we would go for walks and we might, you know, pass like an Irish cottage where no one was living in there. And he'd stop and tell me, oh, you know, a witch lives in there and tell me a story mm. about the witch. And that's where my fascination with fairy tales and dressing up and, and make-believe came from. Wow, And he was obsessed with, and still is, my parents with 80 music and like the new romantics and Boy George and and Visage and Cindy Lauper and they he would you know watch a lot of music videos with me and mm-hmm. again the same thing instead of telling me you know that's Shakespeare's sister stay he would go that's a witch <laughs> that's this and I just became fascinated and he just introduced me to like the Wizard of Oz and fairy tales mm, and Dorothy friends oh, of Dorothy friends of Dorothy I Wizard of Oz yeah yeah I mean when I was growing up, every birthday, Christmas present, anything had to be something to do with the Wizard of Oz. I had a Wizard of Oz wardrobe in my bed, bedroom as a kid, which is, you know, mm-hmm. that was my way of just letting them know I was gay. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I think back on things like that and they're, they're quite lovely memories. And I think and I wonder, again, that sense of like shame or that sense of like I may be letting my father down started when I knew I had no interest in sports and all the men in my family had a very, very strong connection to the GAA, which is like Irish games, uh, football, right. soccer, all that type of stuff. And I remember, I'm going to say maybe like nine or ten, they started bringing me on Sundays to football games to watch, which mm-hmm. as a young <laughs> queer kid... <laughs> For the listener, Candy saying this with like disdain on my face. Like, I remember, okay, there's a few things that I really just do not like in this world. And there, it's, it's like, it's those it's football and, and GAA, which is like Irish games and trad music. I really don't like trad music. I just find it very intense. And it's just, it, it just, it just, it's, it's just a lot. So imagine me going on a Sunday drive for four hours with all the men in my family with trad music blaring and then when we finally get to the destination, it's not that feeling of, oh, wow, that's over. It's no, you know, you're going to watch a four hour football game and then you're going to go drive all the way home. And all those <laughs> men in the car are probably more drunk now 
and you're listening to trad music at a higher level. <laughs> so that was that was me. And I, instead of, you know, listening to the game and following the game, I would put my headphones on and I would be listening to ABBA. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where, I, that's where I was. And I remember... Mm-hmm. I always remember that it was having this feeling that it was okay that I was like that and it was okay that I wasn't into sports until and I hate I hate blaming people for things but there's there's mm-hmm. sometimes there's little triggers of feelings and I remember one of my uncles telling me Sh- you know when you know um <laughs> you know when people are like rooting for the for the for the team <laughs> and you know me trying <laughs> to explain sports people are rooting for the team and they're like you know like go on Ireland or whatever Mm-hmm. Could you imagine me now doing that? I remember my uncle telling, <laughs> tapping me on the shoulder and telling me to shout, go on Ireland, because it would make my dad proud. Well, okay. Yeah. And that really, even saying that out loud now, that really like hit me at the time. And yeah. it, it was it was a feeling of, oh, everything I've, I've been doing up until now has not been making my dad proud. Right. And that's when yeah. it started for me. That's when it started. The, and this is like before before puberty so that that's like 11 12 like that's when it started the the second guessing of myself and that's when it started the oh my god the, uh, the feminine stuff that I'm into you know I mean the same uncle explained to me I don't have this memory but my the same uncle ex- said to me that when I was four years old um they you know stood on two sides of the room like my uncle and my dad as a joke I'm not even sure why this was funny and held up a football and a Barbie doll and we're like oh Evan like come to one and I went to the Barbie doll and then suddenly the joke wasn't a joke and they were Mm -hmm. they were embarrassed and then I just got obsessed with Barbie dolls for like a year but they would be taken away from me right yeah so it's kind of like I don't know what was going on with those uncles that they thought that was really funny but they (laughs) and I still see it today you know like they're they're nice to me and stuff but it's like this thing of uh, I don't know they're they're just that that upbringing of being obsessed with sports and like men should do this and men should do that you know the fact that they would have made a joke that oh Evan couldn't have possibly taken the barbie he would go to the football why even put a kid in that position and why is also why is that such a bad thing well exactly and it is this toxic masculinity that i think you know you know more than i do about how that can manifest in terms and how it can really feel when it's turned against you mm-hmm. and i always think as ireland is this very kind of macho kind of it really is country yeah, yeah. it really is there's a there's a thing uh, that i've really noticed with ireland and one it's like um, we really are getting better. And I think case in point was we were the, the first country in the world to have a referendum for gay marriage. And we also had a referendum mm. for, you know, rep- repeal the aid for, for, for women's rights, uh, for, for abortion. So it, it it's crazy to think that we were like one of the, the first countries to do that. Whereas in 1993 or 1994, homosexuality was still illegal here. It, mm-hmm. we've come a, a long way quite quickly but it's still deep rooted in us and um that's that's why I laugh sometimes now that I I might be with you know my drag house going through a small Irish town to a gig and like we get such a lovely reaction you know mm. it's like what is this country but at the same time it's still there and the homophobia is still there and the 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 toxic max- masculinity is still there um the racism racism is very much still there um, mm-hmm. So it's something that we have to, to work on a lot. But there's one thing that I've really noticed <laughs> with a lot of Irish people is we have this constant <laughs> sense of mortification at all times. 
People here right. are mortified yeah. about everything. If you talk about sex, mortified. <laughs> if you talk about gay, mortified. Um, <laughs> oh, you can be queer and you can be, you know, like, colourful in the house. But the second we're leaving the house, you know, my mom might go, you can't go out wearing that. Right. Like, what are people going to think? Are you not embarrassed that people are? And this is something that still happens to this day. Right. If I'm going to the supermarket and I might be wearing colourful socks, I should you not. If I'm wearing colourful <laughs> socks and a jacket, my mom will go, are you not embarrassed? And it's kind of like, then there's a shock when you go, no, I'm not. Yeah. It's just there all the time. Yeah, sometimes I find it better when you're recording to address it if there's a bizarre sound. So if people have heard dogs, um, I have my own dog, but also my aunt, her dog. Um, basically, our two dogs have sleepovers every weekend. Oh my God, that's adorable. So, she, so she's just arrived at mine <laughs> for hers for, the, <laughs> so for a few days. So if you hear barking... They're just excited puppies running around. It's a nice sound. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are so many questions I I want to ask you. And I think one of them is speaking of what you were just saying in terms of the kind of mortification, the shame <laughs> that you were presented with probably a lot, even now. Yeah. And I want and I wanted to ask, how do you think it affected you? And how did you manage if you have to overcome that? So that's actually really something that I've only started thinking about in the last year. And that's actually mm-hmm. something, this is going to sound so knobby, but this is something that actually, that stuff that I've started writing down because I'd like to develop it into a show because it's something mm-hmm. that I've really realised. Irish people are just so mortified all the time and I don't know what it is. That's what I'm exploring. But I think it's because we do, you've just said it, we have such a history of being shamed. Mm-hmm. women have been shamed for so long in Ireland for mm-hmm. um, talking about their sexuality, for being feminine, for not being, you know, like uh, a homemaker, for being a single mom. The same thing with, you know, LGBTQ plus people here in Ireland. And I think from a young age, it was, I mean, it really started with those little things. Do you not want to shout for your team to make your dad proud? And then slowly then, I think around the, the age of eight, uh, when I moved houses, so I had to move school, the bullying started. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, I don't want to get heavy, but that bullying was really, really bad. All no, the way let's up until... get heavy <laughs> if you're <laughs> willing, if, you, if you're okay with that. I'm totally fine. Yeah, I mean, that bullying went on in school every day up until the age of 16. So that was very, very intense. And then you're going home and trying to hide the fact that you're being bullied. And then maybe you're getting comments as well from your dad that are just pushing you down even further um and then at the same time (laughs) you're dealing with actually realizing that you're gay and queer and different and then (sighs) the shame that goes with that then because you're kind of thinking oh all those things that people are making fun of me for oh they're true you know Mm. quote unquote they're true i mean the start of my bullying even though it was horrific it is a little bit funny um, the, um <laughs> there's always a bit of dark humor in any yeah, tragedy <laughs> yeah I think people will find this funny but um basically when I was seven kind of that summer between going into I don't know what you'd call it there but second class over here that summer um I was introduced to Clueless and Sabrina and oh. I just thought Clueless and Libby and Sabrina were just 
the coolest like group of women they were so yeah. fierce they were so funny and there really is a thing that you've probably noticed that gay men love a strong confident woman in like music or movies or fashion <laughs> yes. and it's so <laughs> ironic that we seem to love the ones that are like the bullies like the Miranda Priestley or like the Amber and Clueless it's like <laughs> yeah, why yeah, do yeah. we like the bullies and it's I think it's because they're saying the stuff that we want to say back they have the confidence that we want and mm, gosh that's interesting never thought of it like that yeah mm. let's do a spin-off um but basically um i remember starting school and going okay if i'm starting school you have to be as confident as these women in clueless or sabrina so i would go in and if someone said something to me i would do the the, you know the w on my hands whatever and like l for loser (laughs) and like i don't think so i was every stereotype that you could imagine and that that did not bode well um and because oh I just God, thought they were I, so I wish we'd known each other back then you would have been my best friend. oh we would have been like sat in a corner together best friends with the whole classroom yes. shouting at us um and you know what as well like I didn't have a mixed school like it was just all boys which made it even worse because wow yes I, I actually probably would have really loved a mixed school that probably would have done a lot for me um and you know so it was just that typical catholic all boys school, your uniform, and um, they really, really put an emphasis on doing well in sports. Uh, there wasn't a big art department, so it, there was just like a lot of things uh, I, against somebody like me. Not and for you, not yeah. for me. And from from the age of seven, it was your girl, and that kind of went on then till for another two or three years, and then you're gay, and then mm-hmm. that went on. And by the time I started secondary school, which is I don't know what you call it there, high school or yeah um then that would have turned into the f word which i don't like to say and then Mm -hmm. that would have turned into in some of the heavier classes you know food being thrown at me somebody spat in my face on my birthday people would jump on me and then it got to the stage at about uh i could say 14 where i had it and i would start like hitting back and fighting back and then you know i got like expelled from the school and then brought back because it actually wasn't my fault and there was a lot of embarrassment when your parents have to come in and collect you and then you know you hear that conversation why is my son getting bullied and then you hear the conversation and then you know ha- mm. pretty much I think I was like asked was I gay by my um uh um guidance counselor at the age of 14 wow and then she told my parents wow which was horrific and I remember my I also have, by the way, a huge sense of shame when I say anything negative about my parents yes, and how they I... made me feel when they said things, certain things growing up because I know they were doing their best and I know they worked really, really hard and I really love them and it's something that I'm working on. Um, so when I do say stuff like this, it's not to give out about them because they were just, uh, you know, m- like a, a middle class family in Ireland who who did grow up with queer people around them and they were learning. Yeah. So, yeah. I just, product I just of their have, environment. A product yeah, of their exactly. environment. And I do feel like maybe I came along for a reason because now I think my uncles who have kids, I'm pretty sure one or two of them are, are about to come out. And now my mom says to me, oh my God, thank God we have you. Like they're going to be able to come and talk to you. So I know that was all for a reason. I kind of went through the shit so that people after me can maybe have an easier time. Um, mm-hmm. So I do have just a sense of guilt, by the way, when I'm about to say certain things and it's not, 
in a bad way but I do remember mm-hmm. coming home from that guidance counselor meeting and being sat at the kitchen table and them asking me was I gay and I was 14 and of course I said no I remember thinking this is not the scenario that I'm coming out in after being punched and kicked by a group of lads and then my guidance counsellor telling you that I'm gay like this is not my coming out story and I remember saying no and I remember my dad going like you can tell us if you're gay and then I was about to say yes and he said we'd obviously prefer if you weren't it would make things easier but you can tell us and then that shut me down for another two years yeah yes as it would shut anybody down regardless of your age but especially a 14 year old a 14 year old yeah Yeah. who was then sent to their room you know and then just like sat there like quietly so I remember that being really really hard and you know I remember as well I think it was that summer or the summer before there was some incident where my dad where me and my dad just things were just really starting to get heated I think it was me starting to realize I was gay not wanting to spend time I mean like any teenager you know you want to sit in your room and listen to your music or be off with your friends and you know we just me and my dad were not clicking and I think the the fact that he, I'm pretty sure it was it was just a realization that I was definitely gay, where we had one or two family fights and he just called me that f word, in a mm. in a in a in a blow up, and I remember that being just like a massive slap across the face, and I remember we went an entire year summer to summer without saying hello to each other, living in the same house. Wow. That was very very hard. That was very very hard. How old were you at this point? I would say 13 to 14. Gosh, really young. Very, very young to go through that. Yeah, very, very young. Um, and obviously I was very stubborn in the way that I just I just didn't want to let up and vice versa. I get that, obviously get that off of him. And and then I would have gone back to school maybe after a few months of talking, uh, uh, after talking to him, go back to school for a few months. Then that incident with the coming out happened mm-hmm. and then that shut me down for like another year and I remember then the next summer I got a part-time job and I think that was for my mentality as well my parents forced me to to get a part-time job because I didn't have that many friends in school um Mm -hmm. and I think I had like a a small you know two or three like any kind of kid would so I got my part-time job but I remember when I started that job um there was a gay girl working there and she just asked me, was I gay? And I just said, yes, it just came out. And from mm-hmm. there, my confidence started to go up. I started to uh, make a lot of friends. I had like little money coming in. I all, A lot of my friends were older, you know, in the 18 to 20 year old bracket because they were from work. And then by the time I got to 16, 17, it was easier for me to come out. Um, mm-hmm. But things, things have always been slightly strange, I would say. Yeah. And do you remember what you first said between you and your dad when you, when after a year yeah. of not speaking? Oh, what, after a year of not speaking. Um, oh my God, I haven't do thought you... about this in so long. I remember the day and I remember it was something really small, like as it, it got to the stage where we couldn't sit in the same room because the tension was so bad. And I think it was something like he wanted the television, I was watching the television and I wouldn't give him the television and I was thrown out of the house. It was just like, it got so bad. Like they were roar- roaring at each other. And I said, I mean, it was the only time I've ever said, I hate you, which is like, mm. like might not sound that strong, but I think when it's coming from your old child, his reaction was just so big. And then um, I walked to my grandmother's house, which is probably an hour away. 
and they drove me back and my grandfather came in and was like we have to end this now it's getting too much and there was a lot of screaming and there was a lot of tears and we just kind of had to talk it out we were literally forced into a box bedroom to speak mm-hmm. gosh to go through that because you know being bullied at school being ostracized at school being confused within your own sexuality your own body your mm-hmm. own everything probably and then on top of that having not the safe space that you needed at home yeah i mean that is a lot mm-hmm. like to go through yeah it, it, it wasn't an enjoyable time of my life it was a lot of mornings waking up for school you know the way you'd wake up for school and you just hate going to school <laughs> and then you know I wasn't the smartest, like I excelled in art and English and everything else. I just wasn't great. And so I already was going in going, I'm nervous about, you know, the subjects, but then I'm nervous about, there were certain classes where I knew the teacher was always going to be five or 10 minutes late. And I would literally Mm. get physically sick because people would throw books and food at me, or they might start chanting, you know, like faggot at me. And I would just be so nervous when that time that class would come like it was just such a sickly feeling and then I would finish school and then get into the car into the back seat and we me and my dad wouldn't speak the, the 30 minutes to our house and then just go straight to my room it was just it felt like a really dark period of time looking back on, on it now have you spoken to your parents about that now never have you had a conversation never yeah. well once once one time I brought up the kitchen table incident where they said it would be easier and they got so angry and said they never said that and I feel right. like that is something you would not forget and especially when it's directed at you but I, there was just a little bit, bit of me that just said you don't need to hammer this out again that mm-hmm. shame or that that sense of guilt for like why do I need to make them feel bad for something they said so long ago it's, is it yes. something that I need to work through on my own that's that's how I feel about a lot of stuff yeah it's actually so it's I mean speaking of you know that kind of through their shame, them shaming you and then them feeling ashamed of shaming you. This shame cycle, which really comes yeah. Yeah, from such deep-rooted, um, you are a product of your environment and we're all culprits of that. Yeah. And it's, and it's like new knowledge then makes you think, how on earth did I ever think those things before? How dare I even say that thing before? And you feel like a different person. So if someone does tell you, well, actually you did that, it's, you just... It just like, that defense will come up and go, but how did I, yeah, it's hard. And so I can understand. And I'm not even, I'm not even angry about it. It's, it's, I'm smart enough now as a 30 year old to go, that was a product of their environment. They were products of their environment. Also, they, (laughs) they were, they were young having kids, you know, they didn't Mm. have gay friends or, or gay uh, relations. So like they didn't know how to deal with it at the same time then. I probably wasn't the easiest teenager to deal with because I was probably quite sad and angry coming home from school and the last thing I wanted to do was probably sit in a room with them. It was probably like a big mix of a big mix of everything. Um things did get easier when when I came out, but there is this even after I came out and even with the drag it's like they're proud of me and they're happy for me for when I'm doing things, but I still can't get rid of some of that shame so I can never fully be myself around them. Right. Yeah. That's something now I just would. Yeah. It's it's hard to even admit that. Yeah. But do you know what? It's so interesting that because I can resonate with that on some level as can well. You? And I think in a very different way. But I think there's this because your parents, 
because they rep because they're so much history mm-hmm. and they're so part of your life as well as the fact that they're part of your traumas they're part of the traumas that you've gone through as a family they're part of some of the traumas that you were kind of given mm-hmm. um as well as the fact that they've got their own trauma so it's this kind of really messy but like hugely kind of connected um relationship i think that people can have with their parents mm. where being the person that you become especially at the age that we're at now where we're really you know finally finding our feet and who we are and i think that that will only get easier hopefully oh, fingers crossed but so. it is this thing where i think that then you do feel like a different person that i think naturally people all hide that a bit with their families even their siblings at home like I act slightly differently with my siblings when we're out and about in London together really? but when we're at home at mum's house I think there's this slight difference of we're going back to the sort of more historical um dynamics of relationships mm. and me kind of being the as you were saying earlier that kind of more black sheep who's a bit more this and a bit more that and then someone else taking the other thing and then and then mum also treating us like we're still, you know, 15 years old rather than yeah. 30 years old. It's it's also, it's just so complex, I think, the kind of relationships. Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, if you had, if either of us had issues with our, with our parents when we were younger, even though it's been, what, 15 years since maybe such um, said incident occurred, people would assume, oh, you should be fine now. Or I, I sometimes get, why aren't you in the kitchen, like having conversations with your dad I get that sometimes and it's like it's not it's never black and white it's never that simple and then it's so funny because um I've had there's been so many times where like I'm in full drag if I'm doing an Irish gig and my one my dad or my mom they'll drive me to the gig and my dad will watch <laughs> Dragonians and go yeah, oh my god yeah. that was so funny and you looked spectacular like they're oh, wow. they're that they're that level of proud and my dad I know and this is a big deal probably you know my dad will probably go I know goes into his workplace and shows people what I'm doing so I know that mm-hmm. there is that proudness but then at the same time to be around them in drag I'm also still mortified because I'm like oh my god they're proud of me and I'm doing well but at the same time I'm so hyper feminine fe- feminine right now I'm slightly embarrassed to be around them because I don't want them to be embarrassed or shamed. But then I think, is the embarrassment and shame coming from me? It's such a head fuck. Yeah, but do you know what? It makes perfect sense that even now you feel that, even though they've also changed and, you know, opened their kind of eyes to what they can deem as proud for their children and not. Because once upon a time, you were shamed for trying to be the person that you are. And Mm -hmm. I think that will probably take you know quite a long time I think so to to get out to get completely out of your head I think so and it is still there like in little things that you know I do reprimand them now for doing but and they're they're you know and sometimes they're right if I you know you know that sense of if you're in London you can literally walk down the street in anything and nobody will blink an eye so I have that (laughs) confidence when I go to the likes of London or Edinburgh and you know it's that excitement of wow I can dress fully free like you know and then here in Cork you know I've I've you know you might wear dungarees in the summer or something like that and cars will beep at you and my mom would go I'm not leaving the house with you when you're dressed like that. So there's like little things like that that like suck you back to being that 15 year old. Um, mm-hmm. 
Or, you know, I said this to my friend, this was a few months ago, but um, I left my friend's house and I was just in jeans and a t-shirt. There was nothing spectacular about me, really dressed down. And I was just crossing the road and like this like car with a mom and three kids stopped the car and the mom rolled down the window and screamed faggot at me in front of her three kids and then drove on and the entire people who are waiting for the the traffic light to go are staring at me I'm completely Mm -hmm. mortified and it's those feelings those incidents that are one are so horrific and like and that's a whole other chat of like how that mother's like raising her kids but those incidents whether big or small bring you back to that like 14 year old who's getting like taunted in school or taunted by Mm. their parents so completely it's like you never fully get over it you know it's a full trigger yeah exactly this is a laugh isn't it i'm hard (laughs) i actually do really enjoy it but i really hope i'm not depressing anybody because i i I do try to count myself as quite like a fun bubbly person but i I think it's important to talk about these things when i got asked to come on dragony aunts i was like thank fuck someone knows that like i've got a sense of humor somewhere because daddy issues it, I was like, am I just like known as this girl who talks about like people's <laughs> grief and like loss and some or like absent dads and like trauma? I know. But actually, I think I said it, something to you like on the on the dragging one, like, do you ever call a guy daddy in bed? And like the rest of the team like almost killed me. And I was like, I could tell her. I was like, no, she's funny. Like it's, I could tell you got it, and you did. You know, I could tell you of humor. course. <laughs> no, you have to, especially if you talk about like deep things a lot. You have to laugh. But you have to laugh it's such it's honestly i was saying the other day the sort of um the line between if you cry and if you laugh yeah the same body movement happens you're checking really? like it's the same like if you think okay hang on i'm gonna do it if you're like ha 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 you're like chest moves <laughs> but if you're like ha, 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 your chest it's the same oh, thing wow. do you know what i mean it's such a fine anyway there's always as i was saying humor and tragedy and also i don't know about you but when i listen to things i don't always want to be laughing like i want to hear about things that I think myself and a lot of people resonate with most are those sort of inadvertent commas like darker things or deeper things that have led you to who you become today rather than just like constantly on the surface. I know. Do you know what I mean? I know. And I think there's also that pressure as well when you're a drag queen or, you know, I never thought I was that funny, but here I am doing things for Comedy Central (laughs) or hosting comedy shows in, you know, on stage. And, you know, humour is something that I definitely learned and 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 I found really helpful with things and I quite like having mm-hmm. dark humor but um, I think a lot of people look at drag queens and kind of go oh well, you just need to be making us laugh all the time you yeah. know and actually a lot of drag queens and a lot of queer people have these really like dark kind of stories and that's how they've gotten there well of course and those are so important to be told and for other people to hear there's that <laughs> stereotype that a lot of comedians are depressed or mm-hmm. suffer from depression or have had or a bipolar and again it's this kind of blurry line between ha- I actually think usually and I can again this is something that when I was growing up 100% was was the case for me but coping with your darkness again in inverted commas for me was going to humor and to making people laugh and being self-deprecating in a way that can be funny or whatever it is. And I do think that that clearly is a pattern amongst people who've had some kind of trauma. And some people, you know, everyone copes with things so differently. But Mm -hmm. as you were saying, there's this expectation to, as a drag queen, be funny and make people laugh and be entertaining. But also for you could have been, this is a question rather than me putting this into your mouth, (laughs) but could have been a way where 
you found that that was the best way to cope Mm -hmm. in a kind of social setting when things that could have been very triggering or hurtful or you know for you to kind of almost own that and then make yeah humor out of it very much so I think I mean when I a lot of people you know that that basic bitch question of when did you start drag I think for me it was like even when I was as a kid I don't you ever have you ever seen the movie Tu Wong Fu no. Okay, so it's like it's Patrick Swayze and Wesley Snipes, and um, it's like there's a lot of there's a lot of great people, but they're all playing these drag queens. And I remember like seeing that on TV as a kid and recording it, and I would watch that like twice a day. And I knew that they weren't women, but I didn't know what a drag queen was. And I just remember thinking, oh my god, they're so beautiful and confident. And from there, I think it was always a mix of playing with um, make believe. And now I look back and that was definitely escapism, you know, like pretending I was Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz in the back of the garden on my own mm. or, you know, do <laughs> always on my own. Um, and then when um, when I was in secondary school, when I was really getting bullied, like my favorite night was Tuesday nights because that was America's Next Top Model. And I would watch mm-hmm. that religiously and I couldn't wait for the photo shoots. And I remember at 14, 15, sitting at the back of Matt's class drawing all these ideas for photo shoots and outfits and you know then I got into art college and I remember we had to do a project on childhood and I decided to like um design like 50 Barbies like 50 dolls um Mm -hmm. based on my diaries as a kid of I wasn't I play play with dolls and then we to do a performance art piece so I thought wouldn't it be funny if I dressed up as a doll and then suddenly it was oh I quite like dressing up as a doll and doing things in front of camera why don't you do that on stage? And then suddenly a few weeks later, I was doing it at a club night and I was doing drag. So oh, wow. there was never yeah. a sense of, wow, I love RuPaul's Drag Race. I want to do drag. It had come from something else. And I think a lot of, when I think back to my first two, I've been doing drag 10 years now. When I think back to my first performances, they were always really sad. They were always very, very sad. They were always either angry or sad or very scary. And that was my way of going you know, like expressing everything as, as cheesy as that mm-hmm. sounds, it really was. And then I think I right, two years into doing drag, another queen said to me, why are you scary and sad and crying all the time on stage? Like you're really, you make everyone laugh backstage. Why don't you do comedy? And that's when I started going, okay, <laughs> you know, I, I, I feel like I've hit my wall now. You know, I've, I've cried enough on stage. I've made people scared. Um, and then I started to, to go down the line of, you know, I can still look real glam uh, but I really mm. like I I need I need to start laughing now. You know, I yeah. I, I need to start enjoying this and uh, and using it for other ways and stuff. And but I, I mean, and that's when I realized I can I can be funny and I can do uh, do fashion, but also at a pride march or when it's really important, I can get up there and I can scream my ass off and, and make my voice hurt. But um, I would 100 percent say that I would not even be able to do this conversation with you now and not be shaking if I hadn't done drag. Yeah, 100%. I can now, even though I'm not fully confident in, in either aspect, um, the confidence that I've seen in the last 10 years is is incredible. Like, I, I, if you had asked me to do a presentation in school, I probably would have gotten sick. Whereas that now mm-hmm. I can at least close my eyes and go, okay, look, you're in drag. Like, just just adapt. I can adapt very well now to, to conversations and I can... Um, yeah, I'm just not as terrified as I was as that as that teenager, but because of drag. Do you find it easier being 
Evan when you're doing your work or being Candy? Candy. Yeah. Hmm. And do you think that's because you can have this slight detachment from sort of the, the person who actually did have all this shame, whereas Candy is this kind of fuck you expression, I'm doing me. I think it and is. I'm, I think hmm. it is. And also um, my relationships with people... Um, it's funny if I know somebody so I, I I've met you pretty much through drag related things or like maybe the people that I worked with on Dragon Ants they all know me through Candy so it's like when I'm with them or with my drag sisters out of drag I still slightly feel like I'm Candy because they're they call me Candy like they, they know me through drag whereas if I I don't know bumped into somebody from school or somebody from an old job I definitely feel like just Evan because they've never met Candy and and why would I turn into this really confident bubbly person in front of them it wouldn't make sense to them it wouldn't make sense to me and I do hate that feeling of not having that confidence yeah I, I it's it really shakes me yeah mm. it's like Candy is is you obviously, yes yes but she's also your armor on some level very as well. much so very much so mm. yes um so it is great in situations where i need her i can mm. i can adapt but the people that i would be very nervous around are almost the people that i would have known before i started drag yes i can i can be more confident around them now but it's it's not it, it, it's not it's not the level of confidence that i have around my my friends or colleagues that i've met after drag after i started drag do you know what? It's so interesting. I was speaking to someone about this last night and how even if, you know, you can be in such a different place mm. to where you were, say, five years ago when you were hanging out with someone or like you were, how you felt about yourself and people that you met during that time. Mm. And how, for instance, even though now in whatever time you're living in this point, you feel very different mm. on the inside you see that person or a person who was part of your story when you weren't feeling good and they can trigger those exact feelings of vulnerability, inadequacy that you had then. And it is literally like, a, I've had it before. It's like a physical Pain reaction. In your stomach. And you just said mm. the word, it's a trigger. You know, we talk mm. about, you know, I, I the amount of times where I've strolled down the street having a great day and somebody's called me gay or like a faggot. And then it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's you see somebody that you went to school with or a workplace or an old family member that you haven't seen in years. If you were in a bad time or a bad place and, and then you bump into somebody that is was to do with your story then, it's a complete trigger. And even the mm. questions of, you know, what are you doing now? What are you doing with your life now? Like, where are you? It's like, I can't even answer them confidently. Yeah. It's like, it, it's so bizarre. And actually I remember yeah. as well... <laughs> This like local paper in in my town um, did like a little article on me and she, I remember she asked something about me being bullied. Now, they really spun that into the story, right? Like, overcomes bullying mm-hmm. to become a drag queen. And I was like, oh God, it's great. I was so <laughs> embarrassed. But anyway, it, it, it was one of those papers that's like our biggest paper in our town. So everyone mm-hmm. reads it. And I remember that summer bumping into people in school and them saying, yeah we read that like we were never bad to you in school like we were just having a laugh and me saying to them oh I'm so sorry like she really you know dramatized that article I'm so sorry I was apologizing to them to make them feel better even though they tormented me for like 
almost right. two decades. Yeah. Oh my God, isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's like you immediately go back to that. Just really make small. Sorry, yes. I don't I don't want to make any trouble. And I feel like that was the same thing with my parents when I said that 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 one time. Remember that thing mm. that you said to me at the kitchen table and they said, No, we never said that. That it was that same thing of like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. It's like let's not even go there because you don't want to be dreamed. Uh, sorry, um, you don't want to be deemed the dramatic one or like the, you know making it all about you. And then also, like it's it, this is very tricky because it's like walking on eggshells. But uh, a, a lot of queer people can be stereotyped into being very like dramatic and you know like making it like um, a mountain out of a molehill. Like sometimes, mm-hmm. even though. It, majority time in the case their stories are authentic but it's that that thing of oh I I, no everything's fine because I I I don't want it's that like almost that shame or embarrassment of them thinking that I was being dramatic on purpose or I wasn't dramatic to to get attention even though Mm -hmm. (laughs) that story one just came out of a little thing but that did come from truth and they did literally torment me it's just it's that I have that a lot it's like oh I don't want to be deemed dramatic or deemed a stereotype for for talking telling my truth yeah so I just I just be just be quiet and you know make a joke so yeah exactly go to that coping mechanism of yeah, just humor, funny. Make everyone everything's funny. Yes. Do you want a drink? Like everything. Keep, yeah. keep things light. Make someone else feel more comfortable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So going back to the classic term of daddy issues. Yes. How do you think that daddy issues affected your romantic relationships growing up? Okay, so how did it affect my relationship when I was dating, or how did it affect my relationship with my dad when I had a boyfriend? Let's go both. Let's go both. Okay, I'll start with bringing somebody home because I would say that when I was 17, that was when I was like fully out. And I remember my dad just coming to me. Um, I told my mother um, and she said, you have to go downstairs and tell your dad you're gay. And I went, you wouldn't tell me to go down and tell him I was straight. So if you'd like to tell him, you can tell him. I was just not having it at the time. I had told my sister I was as gay and she lashed out and told my mother when we were having an argument and I, w- I just was not happy with that and then when my mother came to me she said you know you're oh your life is going to be really hard like I love you but your life's gonna be really hard and then she was more upset when I told her I'd actually just come out two years ago she was the last to know so then that just like <laughs> really fueled the fire because we we spoke early and, and you said it's harder to to sometimes be yourself or tell your family things because they're the people that have known you the longest that's why I always find and you it, love the most you yeah. love the most you don't want to disappoint them that's why I always find it easiest to come out to somebody that I just met mm-hmm. there was no expectations and it was fine um and also when you do come out if you get a great reaction it's like a little uh, you got so much confidence that you want to come out to somebody else and it just it just keeps you going um but anyway I remember him saying to me he couldn't even say the word gay he was like, oh, I, rem- I your mom told me you're coming out with loads of um, rashers and sausages. Are you OK? <laughs> I remember being like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like he was obviously so mortified that he couldn't look at me, but he just wanted to make sure that I was OK. And he couldn't be- I still remember going, I can make fun of you right now or I can just let you be OK. And I remember going, yeah, I'm totally fine. And he went, but you're happy. And if you're happy, I'm happy. 
that was fine. So yeah. to be honest, we never spoke about it then until when I went to college, I started dating. Um, so I never really had boyfriends up until before then. I, 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 so I was, this is 17 years old. I would say, eight, yeah, 17 was coming out and 18 was when I started oh, dating. Yes. And right. I think I'm going to say 19 was the first time I brought a boy home. And I'd been seeing seeing him for about six months. And I remember being so terrified to bring somebody home because there's this saying that you're okay with it. And then when it's in your living room, what's the reaction going to be? It was totally yeah. fine. Like it was, it was, it was, I'm going to say it was probably the cringe of anyone bringing a boyfriend or girlfriend home. Mm-hmm. It was the opening the door and the parents are standing at the door with their hand out to shake their hand. Uh, the, 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 the embarrassing like questioning that type of thing and I remember mm-hmm. I do remember my mom saying because we were in a separate living room myself and my partner at the time and I think we we're you know just lying down cuddling watching tv and I think she said she got like a shock she didn't want to come in because we, she didn't expect to see us like that <laughs> as if we were like fucking on the <laughs> living room they were like had our arms around each other so I'd say that was their first oh wow this is real like this is different um, but I remember even that night we were in separate rooms and he tried to sneak into my room and I was like, get the hell out of my room because <laughs> I am not being caught doing anything. Um, I think that was the only time I brought somebody home, to be honest. Um, but dating guys, to be honest, I'm not going to lie. I'm not even going to try and sum- summarize it. I don't think I've ever thought about it. So like, let's talk about that because I've definitely had a lot of issues with people I dated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's can't even say that it's so depressing Tell me more. <laughs> you're like, like the glee in your eye imagine if I was like no everything's been perfect no I've had so many problems with with people I've dated and I can always tell no not all of them but majority of of them especially the ones that were so lovely the ones that treated me really nice I was the one that fucked it up and I definitely mm-hmm. didn't fuck it up on person at the on purpose at the time but looking back I really self-sabotaged myself and it was something it would have been to do with my confidence and trust issues um uh, just just so many things that yeah can I can I ask do you think when someone was treating you really well Mm -hmm. there was this kind of feeling of like I don't deserve this I don't deserve this love. I don't deserve this kindness. I hate myself. I want someone to remind me of that. Okay. um, The feelings were very much so... Okay, so I think my first two boyfriends cheated. So trust issues would have come from there. Um, If this is going well, this is definitely going wrong, going to go wrong. Right, right, yes. Um, Then there was... Now this really goes back to probably me being a kid and any sense of being feminine or open with my emotions being supposedly being a shameful thing if I had a partner that wanted to have that stereotypical you know I love you or cheesy moment of them telling me their feelings Mm -hmm. I would they would literally open up to me and I'd go (laughs) shut up Do you want something to drink? Like, I would literally shut them down like that. Or like, shut up, you're being so embarrassing. And then they've just like, spilled their guts to me. Right, right. Oh my God, yeah. No, I know. I, you can so see both sides. You can see both sides though. It's like... And now I'd love nothing more. 
Then somebody telling me that Honestly I heard Like I've been like Single now for like Three years And I would love Nothing more But at the same time I would I would definitely I mean if a partner Tried to Kiss me in the middle Of the street I'd probably slap them Across the face I just I could I can't I still can't deal With that The The, the public Announcement of love You know I always mm. say That if somebody Proposed to me In a restaurant I would know They're not the one <laughs> I need this to be done At home just the two of us <laughs> in private <laughs> and isn't this this is actually something that probably isn't as funny but it's definitely something that i need to work on if i ever want to get married but i have this huge fear of getting married in front of my family because i could not confess my love or say vows or have a guy kiss me in front of my family and i know that they would probably be fine with it but it is this feeling of I couldn't fully relax because my all that would be going on in my head is, oh, I hope they're not embarrassed. So yeah. I have that in a lot of relationships as well. You know, mm-hmm. oh God, I'm bringing a guy home. Oh God, like it's this. And I know they're probably all fine, but I really need to get rid of that in my head. Mm. So there is a sense of that as well of a guy in a small Irish town wants to hold my hand. I get quite embarrassed. I hope... People aren't watching because they usually are watching because it's not a lot. You don't see it a lot over, still over mm-hmm. here. Whereas when two years ago, I remember going on a date when I was staying in California and this guy holding my hand. I couldn't have I didn't, couldn't have enough of it. I was like, kiss me here, kiss me there because there was gays everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And also you were away. You'd be you, you were detached from that place. I, that I guess. Yeah. Yes. Has the kind of the sort of negative connotations. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So there's there, there is a lot there. Um, and it's funny, it's always in hindsight, isn't it, that you you realise, wow, I made those mistakes or wow, I self-sabotaged. It's always in hindsight. Completely. I remember always. this really lovely guy was so lovely to me. And I think I was out of three relationships where they had gone. None of them were really that long term. I would say a year was the longest. And they were they all went wrong. And then this really lovely guy was dating me in Dublin. And he was so lovely. Oh, my God, I was so horrible to him. Like, I never did anything on purpose. It was just always, you know, if he was holding my hand in public, I'd be like, ugh, get your hand off me. Like, just things mm-hmm. like that. And I wasn't, I didn't know why I was doing it, but obviously I wanted to self-sabotage. And I remember by the time and I realised what I had done two months later and sent him this apology and went, oh, wow, I actually really like you. Like, would you like to give it a second go? He was like, I really liked you. I really appreciate that. I'm already seeing somebody. And they've been together for six years. The bastard. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that's why I think even though I, I mean, it's easy to say now where when I go back, when I start dating again, I know what not to do, but I still have this fear that I'm going to do it again. Mm -hmm. The self-sabotage. The self-sabotaging or just just do some. I I have a huge fear of you're going to mess it up. I don't know how you're going to mess it up, but you're going to mess it up. Yeah. The mistrust. Yes. Because I also realized going I mean, talking about your mistrust in relationships because of people cheating on you, but then also actually, for instance, and this is not to point fingers at your, um, (laughs) I'm sure, wonderful sister, but like, you know, you confided in her about your sexuality and Mm -hmm. she then, you know, turned that against you in, in, in an argument. And, you know, there's probably lots of other little things that like just lead to that kind of, and that sort of mistrust in one's romantic relationships because an amazing psychiatrist psychologist sorry oh hang on psychotherapist (laughs) once there are so many of them psychotherapist once told me that your wounds 
so your sort of life wounds tend to come out in your relationships so whatever they are and by relationships I mean romantic relationships so you know you often hear about you know people being very especially women I guess and um, maybe gay men or queer people who all have kind of different traumas to straight men (laughs) but how Mm -hmm. say out in the world in the sort of system of work and career can come across very confidently and be very powerful but actually within their relationships they have a very different dynamic to who they may present to the world and um, who they are in their sort of careers Mm -hmm. and it is really interesting that and I as I said I can't speak for everyone but for women that tends to be somewhat of a pattern I think quite powerful women yeah I definitely have that with straight men as well like a huge right trigger and and fear now it's not like I'm walking down the street gasping when I see a straight man it's more so if I went to a house party or a work environment maybe a new work environment or to be honest any new new environment where there was maybe a lot of straight men or lads I would revert to that boy in school but mm-hmm. until I I have the conversation with them and I know where they're at you know if I was friends with you and you introduced me to your boyfriend and we were left in a room (laughs) I would be like oh my god until we spark up a conversation and I know that he's cool with it or like I don't need him to come out and go wow I love the gays but it's just you know you can't you know the way you always kind of know so there it's like that as well you know and Mm. it's because you you know if you had like really horrific experiences with you know, a certain bracket of people, they're, go- they're that's going to stay with you. So for me, it's the straight men because I was bullied by majority straight men for like almost two mm-hmm. decades. And then mm-hmm. there's the thing with my family members, you know, my family members who I, who I love and I, I definitely have huge trust issues with a lot of people in my family. And I often get called, you know, the black sheep or, you know, you're so difficult because you don't interact with us that much. And the reason for that is, I might have really lovely evenings where we open up and we might have a movie night. And then the second, the next day, there might be one small incident where something really tiny happened. And instead of, uh, instead of like talking out, one of my sisters might say something like, oh, you're a disgrace to the family. Like you're so embarrassing the fact that you do drag. Or mm-hmm. like, and then the next day it's, oh, we're so proud of you. You're doing so well. So it's always this up and down, up and down, up and down. Yes. So my, I do have a lot of mistrust opening up around people. And I think it's beca- it's the um, the unknowing of, of what people are going to be like. Because I've had that my yes. whole life. Right. And it's that, so it's, that then goes into your romantic relationships. 100%. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting, isn't yeah. it? Don't I sound fun? Don't I sound fun to be around? Would anyone like to date me? <laughs> Exactly. That's, that's the annoying thing as well. Should we turn this into a dating show? <laughs> that would be so funny. If, like, just, all, all season three is just me trying to find a date and you being the moderator with these different men. <laughs> we are both single. <laughs> we both have daddy issues. Please reach out. Yeah, could you imagine? Are you single as well, Angard? I am. Yes. Okay. I am indeed. Yeah. So we need to move in together. We need to start dating together and we need to start a podcast together. Podcast. That is just, that's what's yes. coming out of that. That, like, I, I don't know. I'm so, it, that's another thing as well, not to branch off, but that was another thing as well. I was so excited to finally get to London because I find it so hard to date in Ireland because mm. it's a small country and then we're, it's, the towns here are really small. And then when you're like, um, so embarrassing, but like when you're like a well-known drag queen, you know, obviously mm-hmm. all the gays will know you in your country. So everybody just knows you. So I just didn't, I don't like dating here. 
And then when I went to mm. London, I was like, oh, this is so exciting. You're like a big pool of gays, you know, and, mm. I, I like, and I'm not a NSA guy. Like I like going on dates like old fashioned, like I like going on a fun date. So I was so excited for that. And then the pandemic hit and I'm like still like single. And my mom says to me all the time, she's like, when are you going to start dating? Like she kept saying that to me throughout the pandemic. Like you really need a boyfriend. When are you going to start dating? I'm like, we're in a pandemic and we're in lockdown. And you want me to break the lockdown rules to go have sex with somebody. It just made like no sense. And she tells me exactly what type of guy I need. Apparently I need somebody who's like in their late 30s, early 40s. And there's a doctor that can like pay for everything. So that <laughs> my, my mom, my mom tells me the same. <laughs> because I need at least two rooms, one for me and one for all my drag. And then I, I'm quite open about the fact with I just like to share my bed with my dog. So I'd like a mutual room that like if I want to go share the bed with him, I'll go to his room. But I need my own room. Yeah. <laughs> Again, if you'd like to date me at yeah, Candy exactly. Warhol Queen on Instagram, <laughs> we'll have a great time. I'll see you once a week. <laughs> Oh, so good. Um, but speaking of, so basically this podcast also looks about how you may, like your experiences with whatever that has been. So uh, any sort of absent father or mm. any kind of like obstacle in, in that area of the father in your life has mm. may or may not have contributed to your drive, your focus, the direction that you've gone down. And although I do think we've covered some of that already without me actually directly asking that question, but if you were to kind of summarize how you think it may or may not have contributed to you now, um, you know, being very much at a, the beginnings of your career, but at the beginnings of a very exciting career. I think it's only something that I've I've realised honestly this year that for a majority of my life I was really put down and bullied for being feminine and queer and now I really look at my drag and especially where I'm bringing it I'm celebrating the fact that I'm really feminine and I'm really queer so I'm mm-hmm. really proud of that and maybe and this isn't to kind of like brush everything that happened to me aside I think a lot of us are made stronger by these incidents that we have gone through as horrific as they are you know yes. maybe if I went to school every day and everybody t- told me I was great maybe I I wouldn't have had the drive to do anything mm-hmm. and maybe I wouldn't have had that ta- that that drive to go I need to get out of this school because once I discovered art that you could I honestly when I was 16 I discovered that you could actually go to college to study art I just not mm-hmm. know that was an option mm-hmm. um and when I discovered that this holy sense of drive to get out of the town get to the art college when I started art college I honestly thought I was going to be a kid in fame dancing on top of a yellow taxi (laughs) I thought that was going to be it and then from there it was I will say there's a huge drive in me to make my parents proud Mm -hmm. there is a huge drive in me because there's been so many incidents I didn't finish college because I, my drag was taking off and, and, and I felt like I had done everything that I, I could there. Um, I don't have the Monday to Friday nine to five. Um, I'm gay, so I do, I, I'm not bringing a woman home or we're not having the three kids. I, I just know that I'm, I'm not the stereotypical child. So all those conversations that I've had with my parents that, yes, would really affect my anxiety and my stress levels of are you going to be OK and where are you going? Also, on the flip side of it, give me this unholy sense of drive that they're that they're going to turn around and be like, oh, well, we did not have to worry about him. And while you mm-hmm. can be a, a drag queen and be like so successful or where you can be an artist or whatever it is. 
Um, and so sometimes I have that ringing in my head. Sometimes that can be a bit of a downfall because that might affect um, my work on the day or the, the stress levels because there's like a, I have to do well. I have to do well for this, you know, and then mm-hmm. that, that, that might just send my stress into, into overdrive. So it, it's a weird balance, but I can, it's, it's funny, like until we even like spoke today, I didn't re- realize a lot of the pattern of where all that mm. came from, but it really does like all, even everything going back to that very first comment of, do you not want to sh- shout for your team to make your dad proud? There is a huge, I'm not going to lie, fuck you. That is coming out in me now that I have the confidence to say that and yeah. go, I'm going to be even more feminine and more eccentric on stage and I am going to do really, really well. There's that drive mm. in me. Yes, completely. Mm. I know. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh, well. And can we say as well, sorry, just before you finish, because the two of us, I love the fact that you've said so many times where you relate to a lot of the stuff that I'm saying that our parents put this pressure on us. And I think it's really important for people listening, whatever they're doing, if they're having the same feelings and they're having the same pressures put on them by their parents. I know you ha- you have to do what you have to do to survive. And it's not like the two of us are rolling in it. <laughs> I don't know about you. I'm not. But don't settle. Mm. You know, do what you can. Like, yes, be smart and ha- have have a hustle and get what you need need, need to go. But I have, don't you just have this fear of being like 60 or 80 and go, oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, I should have done something. Absolutely. Like, like you, there's that sort of drive to make my mum proud and the proving stuff as well. Also that image of me aged 80 going, why the fuck did I not just do what I wanted to do? Yes. What was I so scared about? Like, what, what was I? What so scared about? Yes. And I was so young. And I, why didn't I embrace that rather than think I was chasing some clock? Like Other people are doing it. Why can't we? And yes. also, we really get to do this once. And once I got past 25, I really started to see how quick this is going, which is mm-hmm. really terrifying. Yeah. Um, But that's why I'm just jumping on things now and using, you know, using my brains and like just doing as much as I, uh, everything and anything that I can to get myself there, wherever there Completely. is. Yes. And I think that's just important to know, like, don't settle and don't listen to maybe all those voices going around you going like, oh, just get that Monday to Friday, nine to five. Or just because yeah. you hit 30, why don't you have a mortgage with five children? Sorry, it's a, di- it's a yeah, different yeah. time, you know, and everybody Completely. has their own path. <laughs> By the way, I really love how condescending I became at the end of that there. Just like, just don't work. <laughs> just don't do it. Like, if you need to pay the bills, don't do it. Like. I think we are, we're such, we're our worst enemies and it's so cliche to say, but really, really we are. And I think it's this kind of, if you can use what you've gone through and everyone relatively has gone through their own trauma and it's, it is all relative, I think. And if you can use sometimes some of that into your drive. So for example, yours with, you know, proving yourself and the, with, and the obstacle that you've had like with bullying and just kind of think, okay, I'm going to use that horrible bit of pain. And it's not to say like pain is great, but as you were saying, it's like, use that shit and put it into whatever you want to do and just mm. go right I'm going to remember that person who was going through that and actually create a whole better situation out of it yes. and 
I think we see people, especially in the social media world that we live, you know, becoming very successful in inverted mm-hmm. commas, very young. I get that a lot. Yeah. People, people so younger. Yeah. It's like people who are like 16 have like millions of followers and you're like, yeah. oh God, like, is it too late for me? And it's, yeah. that's, that's just a whole other thing, you know. Um, a whole other thing. But also they are an anomaly within the rest of the world. And I do genuinely, again, not going too cheesy and I don't know how much I'll keep this in, but we are very much on our own path and that is something which timing is everything i think for for everyone and if i had become really successful uh, when i was you know early 20s i or even younger or whatever when i wanted to like reach this you know actress stardom i I genuinely think i would have been a bit fucked up whereas like that's why you turned down the uh, you turned down the hunger games didn't you exactly that's why i turned down the hunger games that's why i turned down greece too (laughs) But like, I, I do, I do really think that that's a, a big thing as well without going too it cheesy, is. but how people are very much on their own thing and trajectory and how that is something that you've got to be a bit patient with if that's what you want 100%. to do. 100%. And I think back to even three, when I got Dragony, I had auditioned for another certain Drag Race show, Drag Race UK, and I didn't get it. And I remember <laughs> being thought the world was over, the world was ending and because that was meant for me. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, I was called to do an audition and I was so depressed from the other one. I didn't almost go for Dragony and I went for that and I got it. And Mm. now looking back, I was thinking, oh, my God, if I if I went on Dragon, if I got on it, I would have got sent home week one because I would I wouldn't have had the confidence. (laughs) Dragon has given me so much confidence, taught me everything. And then I realized, oh, wow, I actually Mm. love presenting. Yes, That's, I feel again that 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 cringe factor of everything. Everyone has their own path, or everything's meant to be. I do feel like that. Everything has a, has a time. Absolutely, and that confidence that you would have maybe crumbled if it had come, if that sort of moment to be you know visible had yeah. come too early. That sort of building up, building up confidence step by step. Mm. Oh, completely. Ah, I love you. <laughs> yeah. Final question: If your God. dad was listening to this episode Get right off now, Spotify now. <laughs> But don't forget to rate, yes, review and subscribe. Please. My mom listens to Dragon Ants and Friends of Dorothy. And I, when she tells me she does, I get so embarrassed. Um, because I, you, it's like, oh God, I don't know what I've said. Yeah, I know. But yes. I know. I'm glad that I think my mom's now got bored of Daddy She's podcast. I'm like, perfect. Don't listen to her anymore. Thanks. Um, but if your dad was listening to this episode right now, what would you want to say to him? Oh, I'm Harris. Don't do this to me. Um... I feel like I'll get really upset now if I if I if I say that. I think honestly, if I if he was listening now, I'd like him to know. As cheesy as it sounds, and but I again, I don't talk about emotions, but I do love him and I do appreciate everything that he's done. And it's only in the last few years that I've realized that my dad gets up at four a.m. six days a week to go manage a business to pay for everything that we have and and to to provide everything that. That, that I have and I really really appreciate that and I understand so th- so I understand why he might be cranky some sometime and why we might have an argument um and yes I know that I wasn't the stereotypical son that an Irish father might have had but I hope I've made him proud and I hope and want him to know that I that is a big goal of mine is to make him very proud 
Oh, well, thank you so, so, so much for speaking to me. It's been, honestly, it's been the biggest joy. It's been so lovely, honestly. I didn't, I didn't know so what this lovely. was going to be. And I'm really happy that we had this. <laughs> Not that I hadn't listened to the podcast before, but I didn't know what you were going to ask. And um, it's, it's been really, really lovely. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with the phenomenal Candy Warhol. Honestly, it felt like we were long lost lovers who'd found each other once again and we're just carrying on from where we left off. What an incredible episode to finish season two of Daddy Issues podcast on. I hope everybody has the most fabulous Christmas. I know that it's an incredibly weird one this year and for anybody who isn't able to see their family, I'm sending you all such a huge virtual hug. And I hope this episode has been able to bring some sort of joy and comfort, even though I know it's, you know, talking about daddy issues, but just hearing a familiar voice and people laughing and stuff that potentially you've resonated with, or at least you've connected with on some level, is so important during this whole bizarre year where we have on some level been disconnected. Disconnected from our own lives, disconnected from normality, disconnected from routine, disconnected from our finances, disconnected from each other. So I just, yeah, I'm sending you all so much love and I hope that you do all have a merry, merry, merry Christmas, whatever that looks like for you. And I also wanted to mention that although this is the finale of the traditional mode of interviews for season two of Daddy's Podcast, there is an episode coming out next week, which I'm a little bit nervous about, but it is um, my story on Daddy Issues Podcast, interviewed by a dear friend of mine called Harry Bell. My dad died on Boxing Day, so it's all very serendipitous in terms of the timing of its release. So please watch this space and look out for next week's bonus episode of Daddy Issues Podcast. Thank you so much to everybody for listening and tuning in this year. Thank you so much to Candy Warhol for providing us with the most stunning ending. And love, love, love you all and happy blooming Christmas. And before I leave, just a gentle reminder to go on this episode's show notes in finding the link that will lead you to get your first box of free only goodness, not only to change your relationship to your monthly cycle for the better, but also to make your mark in changing this planet for the better. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on Daddy Issues Podcast. If you've been affected by anything at all in the episode, in the show notes, you will see a number of websites whereby you can seek support on various different platforms, including ex-podcast guest and psychotherapist Julia Samuel's website, Black Minds Matter, Calm and Grief Untangled. Thank you, Warren Borg at Wargy Productions for helping me master and compress all my episodes so they sound that much better. Thank you so much for listening. Please do feel free to get in touch. I love hearing from you. Our email is on the show notes. And please do follow us on Instagram at the Daddy Issues Podcast. Have a lovely rest of your day or night.